it struck me how this disease that people have been fighting, this COVID virus, it doesn't just attack your body, it attacks your mind and your thinking, and even can make you feel anxious or depressed. It messes with you. And isn't that the devil's business to destabilize our equilibrium? I thought this morning of how the very word Satan, from which we get the word Satan, means accuser, adversary. It's amazing how quick he is to start the accusations, to start the adversarial drivel in the back of your mind when you're in a low spot. And yet the Bible teaches us that we have power over him and that we can fight him with effective weaponry and that in the end, he will be fleeing from us and we won't be fleeing from him. And when Brother Nathan was speaking, I thought of what it says here in James 4. I'm going to read from verse 5 through probably verse 8. He says, Do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose when it says, God jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us? And this is on the heels of him saying, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And he's basically saying, if you're friendly with the world, God's Spirit won't live in you. If you're a friend of the world, God's Spirit is going to depart from you. So he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself God's enemy. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose when it says God jealously desires His Spirit to dwell in us? But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And what does this mean when it says, you know, he's basically saying, don't be a friend of the world or else that's going to expel God's anointing spirit from inside. And then he says, but he gives a greater grace. And I feel like what he's talking about here is that even in those times where we have started to befriend the enemies of God and we have started to lose that anointing, that assurance of His presence, His ever-present help in a time of trouble, even when through our own decisions we have alienated His Spirit, there is still a grace in that moment which might be apprehended. And that grace is the greater grace. It's greater than all my problems. It's greater than all my fears. It's bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. So even when you fail, even when you alienate the Spirit, even when you don't feel that anointing, there is still an apprehendable grace. There is a greater grace, greater than that failure, greater than that slip-up, greater than that attitude that's wrong, that alienates God's Spirit. And he says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in that place where you start to befriend the world and you start to lose that anointing, maybe you go a little while before you feel that anointing lift from your life. Maybe you're friendly with the world and you're enjoying that pleasure for a season. As it says, Moses chose not to entertain. Amen. But you're enjoying that temporary pleasure. And then all of a sudden you get in a trial and you don't feel that assurance of God's presence because of the decisions you made prior. Even in that moment, there is a greater grace. 
but it's a grace that can only be apprehended through humility. I think of Solomon's prayer when he says, and when your people sin and they're driven out and affliction comes and trouble comes, I'm paraphrasing, he says, yet still when they turn toward your house, toward this place and humble themselves, then here in heaven. And that's that greater grace. That's that grace that always hangs there, that is always just one step away and can be apprehended through the arms of humility, through the prayers of contrition. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will lift you up. And he goes on. So there's this scenario that we can get ourselves into, where the devil is near us, and it seems that God is far. That's what he's saying here. He says, the devil will flee from you. Meaning that there are times when the devil is right too close with us. And it says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. So, for whatever reason, whether by temptation or because of befriending the world, making our own course and taking our own path, we can find ourselves in a situation where we're near to the devil and far from God. And the remedy is to humble ourselves and start obeying His Word. Start submitting to God. And when you submit to God, something comes inside of you. A resistance to the devil. A resolve. You start repelling him. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you feel like you're in that little cubby hole of darkness, that little prison of unbelief, and the only one else in the cell with you is Satan himself, accusing, slandering, lying, giving you every doubt you can think of. Amen. In that moment, you can humble yourself. You can say, God, I shouldn't be here. I'm ashamed of myself for getting my mind in this place. But right here and now, I'm lifting up the shield of faith by which I am able to quench all Satan's fiery lying darts. And I am going to resist him firm in my faith. And I am going to draw near to you, knowing that you're going to come near to me as I do. Amen. And I'm going to submit. So the first thing God's going to do when he starts to get close is he's going to tell you to do something. He might say something like, pick up that shield of faith and lift it up above your feelings. <laughs> Amen. He might say something like, rebuke the devil and tell him to get behind you. He might give you some impulse through the Spirit. And if you'll start submitting to that, the devil is going to start fleeing. You know, this word flee, I've shared with you before, it doesn't mean that he will ease up a little bit. It means he will turn tail and run. I don't fully understand this, but the most powerful force in the world besides God will flee 
from a certain kind of resolute faith. You need to understand that. We all need to get that through our heads. There's something that the devil flees from, and this word in the Greek used for flee, it means that you will turn him into a fugitive. <laughs> He's a fugitive on the run. He's a prisoner escaping from you. It's not that he's just going to ease up. He is going to turn tail and run. Amen. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And this thought of purifying our hearts gives us an inclination of how the devil got so close. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy presence? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart who have not lifted up their souls to falsehood, nor sworn deceitfully. Amen. And this is what Psalms 15 says. If we want to stand in God's presence, we can't have double-mindedness. We can't have duplicity of motive. we got to be simple in our motive. We can't be selfishly ambitious and also seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We've got to simplify things. We got to say, one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. That's it. All I need is the nearness of God. The nearness of God is my good. Amen? So as soon as you start submitting to God, and as soon as you see the devil start backing off, you need to start cleansing your hands. Lord, I'm not going to touch the things that you have told me not to touch. Lord, I'm not going to mess with the things that you have told me not to mess with. I'm going to lift up my hands without wrath or doubting. I'm going to honor you. Amen. And I'm going to purify my heart. I'm going to recognize that somehow my heart became impure. Now, what happens to the pure in heart? They see God. <laughs> they come into his holy presence. They get past those barriers that started to be erected. He says, be miserable and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will lift you up. And this imagery is as if we are in God's presence and we're just prostrate on the floor. We're humbling ourselves. We're saying, God, I can't do anything without you. And that's when He takes us into His loving arms. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the accuser may get you for many reasons, and the Lord may allow you to be tempted. He may get you because God wants you to build strength in overcoming him. And so the Lord says, okay, I'm going to let you fight this Goliath because I want to bring a great victory, a ripple of faith through the whole camp of God's people. He may also get you because you exposed your left flank. You allowed yourself to develop the wrong motives to have a mixed motive and an impure heart as such. He may get you because you started meddling in things and letting your hands touch things that weren't of God. He may get you because he beholds every high and lofty thing. We know he got at Jesus just because Jesus was doing the right thing. And he wanted to tempt Jesus. And the Lord saw fit to defeat the devil through Jesus' resistance. Get thou behind me, Satan. Remember on the Mount of Temptation and also on the Temple Mount. So whatever the reason is, it doesn't really matter. But your response to him is going to be the same every time. You're going to resist him, as he says in 1 Peter, firm in your faith. Amen. Submission to God 
is the prerequisite to grace. And resistance to the devil is the prerequisite for overcoming temptation. In dealing with temptation, we must recognize that the devil's most fatal snare is the lie that suggests to us that we're somehow an exception. That we're going through something that nobody else has ever experienced. What does Paul say? No temptation has befallen you except which is common to every man, but for every temptation there is a way of escape. And I would suggest that that way of escape is very low. Amen. It's down low. It's like you're in a prison cell and you can shake the bars. You can beat on the bars. You can bruise your hands pitching a fit about how bad you feel. But there is a gap about eight inches tall, maybe eight and a half at the bottom of your door. And if you get down on your face and through prayer, humble yourself, you can get out of this prison cell and start to obey God. And in the end, the devil's going to be terrified of that kind of submission because submission is the one thing he could never do. And so it terrifies him when he sees people walking in the humility that he knows nothing about. And it terrifies him when he sees that humility resulting in a grace and a power that he knows nothing about. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to read another scripture to you here in Ephesians 4. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now that's a powerful thought that through our feelings, through our choices, through our actions, through what we touch, through the motives of our impure hearts, we can give the devil a foothold in our lives. When Jesus saw the devil coming, he said, behold, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. What he's saying is I don't give the devil an opportunity. And if we'll start to look at our lives carefully, we're going to see that there are little things that we do, little choices we make. It may just be a laziness, an unwillingness to engage in prayer. It may just be a slothfulness, a willingness to listen to the devil too long, to sit there and talk with the snake like Eve did. That's giving the devil an opportunity. And if you don't give him an opportunity, then you're not going to be tempted except according to God's will. If you give him an opportunity, sadly, you're going to end up in the prison cell with him. But even there, there's a greater grace. In Colossians, he says, Even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Now, Peter says to resist the devil firm in your faith. And Paul says, I'm rejoicing about your stability of faith in Christ. Now, where does our faith come from? Where does our faith come from? Hearing God's word. God's word changes not. Your circumstance changes. Your mood changes. Your health changes. He may even tamper with your feelings sometimes. But you know what doesn't change? God's word. Amen. Your word, O Yahweh, is settled forever in heaven. All flesh is as grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So if your faith is not in how you feel, but instead in the word of God, then your faith can remain firm because God's word never changes. In every situation, no matter what it is, the word he spoke to your heart that produced a faith of obedience does not change. And so your faith doesn't need to become mushy. 
He says, I am rejoicing concerning the stability of your faith. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him as Lord, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So Paul wants us to have a firm faith, and then he wants us to be established in our faith, just as we were instructed. Peter says, resist the devil firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, what got me in that is that he referred to suffering as an accomplishment. He said the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in every place. Now, if I'm speaking the truth, every one of you in New Zealand, in South Africa, in Idaho, in Virginia, in Montana, in Waco, over there, over here, everywhere, we're all going through the same thing. We're all facing the same battles. And the, the accuser is going to try to weaken your faith because he wants you to think that your faith is based on how you feel. But your faith is based on what God said not what, how you feel or what the devil said. Amen? So he says in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And I've referred to that several times. Amen. To resist him means to set yourself against to cause yourself to stand. It's this word, anthestomy, if I'm getting it correct. It means to withstand, to oppose, to resist. It doesn't mean you're hitting on him. It just means you're saying, no, I'm not budging. I am firm in my faith. I am established in what God has spoken to me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's isometric. Amen. It's this kind of, training that says, mm -mm, I'm not budging. The devil flees like an escaped fugitive from a man who cannot be moved, from a woman who cannot be budged or nudged or pushed off of their firm footing on the rock of God's word. If he encounters in you flexibility, he will exploit that until it becomes collapse. But if he encounters in you immovability, do not be moved away from the hope of your calling, Paul said. Hold fast to your confession, firm to the end, for he who has promised is faithful. If he encounters an inflexibility in you, you will outlast him. Not only that, you will see his back and he will be running from you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. One of the lies that the devil is going to tell you is that you don't have power. And you don't by yourself. But you do by the grace of God. You have access to a greater grace. A grace that is greater than the love of the world. A grace that is greater than all your mistakes. A grace that is greater than your temptation, than your bodily affliction, than your mental torment, than your emotional swings. There is a greater grace. And that greater grace, that prevenient grace, that provision is accessible through humility. Whenever situation we find ourselves in, if we'll just humble ourselves, the Lord will be there. 
Amen. I think of that song that says, I shall not be moved. Though the devil rages, I shall not be moved. From the rock of ages, I shall not be moved. Jesus is my captain, I shall not be moved. I'm sending a call out to all of you, stand firm. Because your faith does not rest in the wisdom of man, and it doesn't rest in your circumstance, and it doesn't rest in how you feel. It rests in the Word of God, and His Word never changes. And so when you feel so vulnerable and weak and tossed, you just remember the Word of God. You just evoke that Word, and you say, Lord, I know that my thought processes may be muddled right now because I'm in the storm, but I know what I heard when I was in your presence, and I'm going to stand on that word, and I'm not going to move, amen, except to lay down, except to humble myself, amen, before the presence of the Lord, and to receive access to that greater grace, that grace that will get me out of this slump, amen. When we're not having as many meetings, when we're in lockdown, I want you to know the devil gets excited, but I want you to know you can disappoint him, you can dismay him if you will just remain resolute in your faith. Don't be moved away. Don't be his easy pawn. Disappoint the devil. My hope is built on nothing less Than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest friend But wholly lean on Jesus' name Oh, and when he 